Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Good morning. I hope that you're enjoying our study of glory. We're in month four, the beginning of December. Glory days in the ancient kingdom of Israel. We're actually studying right now before the very first king when Samuel was coming of age in the house of Eli the priest. You'll remember that. And we're coming to a very dark chapter in the Old Testament, one of the darkest in my judgment in the Old Testament, and that is 1 Samuel chapter 4. In 1 Samuel 3 verses 13 and 14, we read that Eli did not restrain his sons. That is, he did not demand that they conform to the principles and commandments of Jehovah God. And we read, For I have told him, this is God talking to Samuel, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. We're speaking of Eli here. And therefore I've sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house will not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. So what God was saying here is that I am about to take this priesthood from the house of Eli because he did not restrain his sons. And we remember this is going to have very long-term ramifications because the child Samuel has grown up here in the temple in the house of Eli under the parenting of Eli himself. And you remember later that Samuel is going to be condemned by the same Jehovah for the the way that he parented his own sons because they turned out to be vile. And you remember that those sons of Samuel were one of the catalysts for the rejection of the system of judges and prophets that God had in place. That is, the people of Israel used those vile sons, vile priest sons of Samuel. They used that as their excuse to say, give us a king because the sons of Samuel are are vile and disobedient, so give us a king. And at that point, At that use of the catalyst of the wickedness of the sons of Samuel, who learned his parenting skills, obviously, in the house of Eli, at that behest of the people, the king came, saw the first king came to be in Israel. It was a system that God never approved of back in Deuteronomy. He had warned them about what evil would come from having a king like the other nations around them. But you'll remember that this bad parenting on the part of Eli that God condemns here in 1 Samuel 3, 13 and 14 was going to be long term in its effects in Israel. And finally, this parenting through Samuel, who learned his parenting there in the house of Eli, that parenting was going to be a catalyst that the people were going to use to say, we rebel against the kingship of Jehovah God. Give us a king like the nations around us. just want us to to take that this morning just um, as 
sort of a, a preliminary lesson to the one that we're going to get to today that we as parents must restrain our children. We must be disciplinarians. We must be parents who don't let the children rule in our houses. We must be moms who realize that we are the moms biblically for a reason. And we must be determined that we are going to do the Proverbs kind of parenting. And of course, there are admonitions in Proverbs like chasing your children while there's hope. Um, he who spares the rod, it's not he who spares the rod spoils the child, but he who spares the rod, actually it says there, doesn't love his children as much as he should. So Proverbs is very explicit in several passages about the discipline of our children. Let's turn over there real quickly and just read the exact words that the Proverbs writer uses. We'll begin in Proverbs chapter, there's so many parenting verses in the Proverbs, but we'll begin in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. Chasten your son while there is hope and let not your soul spare for his crying. The Another version says, the American Standard says, don't set your heart on his destruction. So punishment is a part of godly discipline. And then we read back in chapter 13 and verse 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him Chasteneth, chasteneth him betimes. Foolishness, Proverb 22, verse 15. We read about foolishness being bound up in the heart of a child. All of those passages are worth your going back and studying and studying the meaning of the words. But for now, let's just look at the first four chapters of 1 Samuel and see some of the results of the lack of restraint in parenting that Eli exhibited. Now you'll remember in 1 Samuel chapter 3, leading up to the, to the sadness of 1 Samuel 4, remember Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 prayed for a child, and then she took that child back and gave him, and I'm going to parenthetically put here that it is my judgment that Hannah made a mistake when she put her son under the tutelage of Eli to grow up. Now, I know that God used that in his plan, but I believe that it was a mistake for her to go and leave a young child under the tutelage of Eli when she could already see the vile nature of his adult now children. But she did that, and that is my judgment, and I know that's not a popular view of Hannah, but I believe she made a mistake when she did that. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel is growing up at that time, and Samuel is the one who gets the vision, uh, the word that is from God, that God says, I'm going to do a thing in Israel. And what that thing was is that he is performing against Eli, the condemnation and thus the removal of Eli's, pre, Eli's family's priesthood because of the way that Eli has restrained not his sons. 
By the time we get to chapter 4, the word of Samuel is coming to all of Israel. Samuel is a prophet, and Israel is going out against the Philistines to battle. And the Philistines are putting themselves in order against Israel. And Israel is badly beaten, in verse 2, by the Philistines. And so the people came into the camp and they said, Why has God smitten us today before the Philistines? Why did he let us sorely lose this battle? And then they had this harebrained idea. Let us go get the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it comes among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, verse 4, that they might bring from thence the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, which dwells between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What means the noise of the great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was coming to the camp. Israelites were viewing the ark of the covenant as some sort of lucky amulet. And they were actually moving the ark of the covenant to the side of the battle when the ark of the covenant was supposed to dwell in the most holy place of the tabernacle. They were actually way out of line here in thinking that they were going to have a great victory if the Ark of the Covenant, if the Ark of the Covenant was with them there in the midst of that battle. It did make the Philistines afraid, verse 7, for they said, God is coming to the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there has not been such a thing heretofore. This is amazing here that the Israelites were going to let God's Ark of the Covenant be defiled in such a way. They, because of their sin, because of the hardness of their heart, were about to let God's Ark of the Covenant be taken away by a heathen nation and put in a place of worship belonging to a heathen people. Woe unto us, the Philistine says. Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all those plagues in the wilderness. Just think about it. Verse That's verse 8 of chapter 4. That glory that was shown when God was coming down and visiting those slaves back in Egypt was still being talked about by another nation, the Philistines. God's glory was manifested in a powerful way back in Egypt during those plagues because people here on this battlefield were still talking about it. So verse 9, Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines. That means ready yourselves like men, that ye be not servants to the Hebrews as they've been to you. Get ready and fight. And the Philistines fought, verse 10, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent, and there was a very great slaughter. For there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And here's a really sad part in verse 11. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. You know, God's going to do his will according to the hearts of men, 
no matter where the Ark of the Covenant is, God is still sovereign. God is still on the throne and his will is still going to be done. There ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with earth on his head. And when he came, Eli was sitting on a seat by the wayside watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. He should, his heart should have started trembling a long time ago for the ark of God when he was restraining not his sons. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What means the noise of this tumult? And the man came in in a hurry and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old. His eyes were dim so that he couldn't see. And the man said to Eli, I'm the one who came out of the army. And I fled today out of the army. And he said, What's happened, my son? What is there done? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines. And there's been also a great slaughter among the people. And your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God, that he fell from off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck broke, and he died. For he was an old man, and he was heavy, and he had judged Israel for forty years. So we have Eli passing away here when he hears he heard about his sons Hophni and Phinehas having died in the battle and when he heard though about the Ark of the Covenant being taken Eli fell backward by the side of the gate broke his neck and died and then verse 19 his daughter-in-law Phinehas wife was pregnant was ready to be delivered and when she heard the tidings that the Ark of God was taken that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and brought forth because her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, those women who stood by her said, don't be afraid, you have a son. But she did not answer. She named the child Ichabod saying, the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. So the question that we had in our first question of this lesson is, did God's glory depart with the ark or is his glory separate from any object or earthly being? Well, I didn't mean for that to be a trick question, but maybe it was a bit of a trick question. I've thought about this a lot. I've looked at some other instances where we read about glory departing. We have a, an instance over in Ezekiel of the glory departing from one part of the tabernacle of the most holy place going to a different part. But we really don't have instances of God's glory leaving with any inanimate object. We further don't have any evidence that Ichabod's mother, the daughter-in-law of Eli, we don't have any evidence that she was Anyway, in any way sanctified as a prophetess. So I believe her words here were in error. At least part of her words were in error. The glory of God departed from this place at this time. It moved when their hearts could not reflect His holiness and His attributes. 
the hearts of the people of Israel, the hearts of the leaders of Israel in particular here, except for Samuel at this time, were bent on believing that the Ark of the Covenant of God was some sort of of blessed or lucky amulet and that they could irreverently move that ark and proclaim that this was some sort of, you know, it, it almost reminds us of a sporting event in the United States where, you know, when Alabama's playing football, the elephant comes out and everybody starts yelling and saying, roll tide. It almost reminds us of that sort of irreverent atmosphere. And they brought the Ark of the Covenant down and they all began to shout, now the victory is ours. And God had a very clear message here that his glory was not going to dwell in an inanimate object that was being irreverently touted as the victory that they could be claiming from Jehovah God were their hearts in the right place. His glory through as as it would be reflected through the men of Israel was gone. It departed. It moved when their hearts could no longer reflect his holiness. Not because a physical structure moved, but the structure rather moved as a result of the glory moving from their hearts. Now God's glory doesn't ever fully depart from any place on this earth. We learn that when we look at the psalmist's words, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. God's glory kept on shining through the universe around Israel, even when they were rebelling against him. But his glory that had dwelt around and above the Ark of the Covenant was not going to happen in Israel when the hearts of the Israelites were no longer reflecting the righteousness, the holiness, the sanctification of God. So the answer to the questions, let's just read number one. It says, Eli made a big mistake that eclipsed the glory of God or hid it, at least in part from Israel at this time in history. And that mistake was the lack of restraint for his sons. And then it says right here the name of Eli's grandson born at the end of 1 Samuel 4 and the meaning of the name. And that is Ichabod. And of course the meaning of the name was the glory has departed. Well that was in, in a sense true. But she went on to say the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken. I'm going to say the ark of God was taken because the heart's of the men of Israel were no longer reflecting the glory of God. She got it wrong. The glory of the Lord did not depart because the ark was taken. The ark was taken because the glory of the Lord had departed in its reflection in the hearts of the people of Israel. Was Ichabod's mother a prophetess? We don't have any indication that she was. We do see that the ark of God was moved in an irreverent and disobedient manner. It was regarded in an irreverent manner as an, a lucky amulet of some sort. And we do see that God was not going to play that game because he went ahead and let the Philistines smite and 
win a great victory over his people Israel. And then he allowed. Do you think they took the ark of God over the will of God? That God just was helpless and he couldn't keep his ark there if he had wanted to? Of course he could have. But he allowed that ark to be taken. He allowed that holy place where God had dwelt to be taken to the camp of the Philistines. He was going to teach some things through that, and his glory was surely going to keep being shown in every part of the earth, but particularly to the Philistines as they had that ark. But what had departed was the reverence in the hearts of the people and their ability to reflect his glory. And in that sense, his glory moved. It moved from the hearts of the people of Israel that day. And as a result of that moving then, the ark was allowed by God to be taken. And he's going to continue teaching some things through that ark. I hope you have a great day and I hope your study is productive. If you find yourself in Huntsville, Alabama, we'd love for you to worship with us at West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest. Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m., followed by Bible classes for all ages. We meet again at 5 p.m. for evening worship and at 7 on Wednesday night. Dig a Bit is a production of Digging Deep in God's Word, a Bible study for women. For more information, visit thecolleyhouse.org.